0: Welcome back to the Present History Podcast and our Hitler's Kingdom Come Multimedia Project. This is actually the second part of our fascinating conversation with Amanda Hale, author of Mad Hatter and the daughter of James Larratt-Battersby, one of the founding members of the League of Christian Reformers. So if you haven't already, go back and listen to part one so you can kind of know what's going on. But if you have already, Sit back and enjoy. In writing this book, you decided to write it as fiction, as a novel. What was it that drew you to write it in this style instead of, say, uh, a non-fiction book or even a memoir?
1: Mm, okay, yeah. Well, it's that started with my research because way back in 1983, I went to England for the summer. It was when I was living in Toronto with the firm intention of interviewing. Um, as many members of my family as would do it about my father, you know, because it's been a long time brewing, this story. Um, And what I learned from that was that, uh, you know, I learned a lot more about each of the people I was talking to than about my father, because everyone had quite a different story to tell about him. For my mother, you know, she found great difficulty talking about him because it was very painful to her emotionally. You know, my, my siblings all had different versions of him my eldest sister Sally um was um you know I think she she knew him the best because she's 9 years older than me and uh, so she was very much attached to him in fact she's been unable actually to read mad hatter um for reasons that she won't talk about but I think it's just too too um emotionally um um triggering for her. Um, And I talked to my brother Jim and what he said, interestingly, he said, well, our father was the only safe person in the house, uh, you know, which gave me, he said he was very safe, you know, he was kind, safe, steady, you know, didn't flare up um, like our mother did. Our mother was a very volatile woman emotionally. Um, And so um, he was very safe, but he was ineffectual, was what Jim said. Uh, and um, and then other um, aunts and um, second cousins and all sorts of people I talked to, some of them said, oh, he was a wonderful man. You know, he was such a gentleman and he was such a socialite and we all loved him. And many people told me about kind things that he did for them. So I got a whole spectrum of things, but, you know, nothing really that would say who my father was. I think it was somewhat time dependent before the war. He was seen in one way uh when he was interned he was seen in quite a different way Um, so i you know i i from that time on i'd been making notes i had a file Um, i didn't even have a computer till 1996 but once i i did i had a file you know that i'd intermittently write notes and thoughts and dreams and things i've had dreams about him Um, and uh it got to the point where you know there was about 100 pages in this file and then um, I started to write in a pub in England in year 2000. I was in this pub with a glass of wine, a fountain pen, my notebook, and I wrote the first the first um, words of what came to be this book, Mad Hatter, which has been through many, many drafts since then, because it wasn't until 2019 that I actually published it. Um, but I, I decided not then when I was uh, w- writing in that pub, about it, but um, some years into it, I was, th- you know, I was not really decided on the genre, but I was thinking of something like a biography, but obviously I didn't have enough actual details. I mean, a biography um, or a memoir, you know, to be a particular biography, you have to be absolutely academically correct and footnotes and so on. I knew I didn't have that kind of information about this enigmatic person. Um, And then I thought, well, a memoir, but it's, you know, not, it wasn't supposed to be about me. It was supposed to be about him. So at a certain point, um, I don't remember when it was, but yeah, it was about 2012. It was 2012 already. And I decided this is going to be a novel because I am a novelist. And that gives me a lot more freedom, you know, to imagine things and take something I've been told that sparked my imagination and just run with it. So that was the um that was my process in coming to that decision and once I decided that then in the summer of twenty twelve I wrote the half half of the book in first draft, and I think the next summer, you know because I'm doing many other things and jobs in between, I wrote the second half of it, and then from then you know I don't know how many drafts I did, probably about twenty um but that's that's where I came to that decision, and it was a good one because. You know, as it turns out, I am mostly um, appreciated for my creative nonfiction. But I, you know, I just called it um, uh, a novel based on family story. Yeah. But, you know, it could have other tags to it as well.
0: Yeah. 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 And and so in writing this as fiction, how did you go about balancing the fact with the fiction? Because like you mentioned earlier, you did plenty of research for this book. So how did you go about using that research to create this fictionalized world in which real people lived?
1: Well, just by I think just by instinct and intuition, because I was so immersed in this for so many years you know that it was just all there for me and I was you know just living breathing dreaming it um so I didn't do any sort of analytical you know this is fact and this is that of course I had lots of notes with dates and the, I think probably the biggest thing for me was getting the war straight because it's not really about the war but the war is is the background so I had to understand um, some a lot better than I did at the time about the war. I'd always wanted to know more about the war and it was just a, a foggy confusion to me. So, you know, dates about the war. And then I have a friend, the historian I mentioned, Steve Paulson, who came to, um, to Petworth House with us, Kingdom House. Um, and he was my history expert, you know, that, that novelists have to have a lot of people that help them with various um, specialized areas of the book. So he was my uh, history um, consultant and put me straight on a lot of the, the wartime background, you know, and how you, how you bleed that into it, because, you know, in retrospect, as you know, it's quite different. At the time, people know very little especially back then, I mean, now, you know, we hear every, every day, every hour about Ukraine and who knows what's true there, but, um, uh, we, you know, this was um, a time when people, they just had the newspaper that came out later. So they were getting their news, you um, know, weeks, sometimes months later of what actually was happening. Um, so I had to take all these complexities into account, but as far as the actual story and the flow of it, mostly went quite easily, especially with uh, my my narrator, narrator for the first third of the book, Mary Byrne, this Irish narrator, because she like sometimes there's a gift to a writer of a character that just walks in and takes over. And that's what Mary Byrne did. And um, she, she ends up representing for me all the women, you know, who served in this sort of upper middle class enclave of all the families, my grandparents and and uh, my mother and so on. They all had, you know, cleaning ladies and housekeepers. We even had, um, my mother had nannies for the children, you know, before my father kind of went off and gave all the money to everybody else. Um, and uh, they had um, even a governess for her two older children because she didn't want them going to school and, you know, getting um, bullied and teased because there was all this bad press about my father. So um, Mary Byrne is like a catch-all for all those women that I dedicate the book to, you know, that keep the houses running, keep the meals on the table. The, the people that were kind to me when I was a child, they were the ones that I would go to for comfort. Um, and, uh, you know, often they weren't there very long because they, you know, for quick turn of uh, servants. Um, Anyway, Mary Byrne just kind of walked in, Irish woman, a girl, and she, uh, you know, I think she was about 20, 21, and just more or less dictated to me because she just had this ready-made personality, which I felt like I was channeling. So she became a mouthpiece for a lot of the information. You know, and just um, it, the writing was came so easily when it was a, it was her. But the, of course, as as you know, there's many characters in the book. Um, so yeah, I you know I just I I had so many papers by my side. You know, I'd be constantly referencing all these dates and this and that. And uh, so it was that kind of process. It and you know it was a, a, like a, a weaving or a knitting of uh, of the facts with my imagination. And with you know something that I thought about and I didn't really know if someone had told me that or I'd dreamed it or what. You know, it, it's a it's a really quite quite a an amazing process to, you know, when you're writing. Um, you have to be doing it to kind of understand that that process. And then you just have to trust it and trust the voice, you know. And I, I'm quite experienced. If I tried to do this as my first novel, I think it would have been much more difficult. But I'm an experienced writer, you know, and I've had Plenty of plenty of of help along the way from so many people, Um, and then of course I had readers on a typically on a second draft. I put it out to various readers. Of course, I had an Irish woman that was you know had to have somebody um, Irish to check out that this was correct. Although I did discover also in the process of this book not only the four half siblings, but I discovered that we have Irish background. Oh wow. Which I never knew. Yeah, um, it was my um, father's sister that actually confirmed that for me. Uh, so yes, yeah, just uh, many threads, and it's a hard experience to explain because I think you, you have to experience it. Yeah, everybody should try and write about their families and see what comes out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and and something that you touched on there. And, and something that you've written about on your blog, actually, is that in the process of writing this novel, the research actually became more than just book research for you. It actually became a kind of quest for identity and family. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that and, and that process?
1: Yes. In fact, Zach, um, I think that what... Um, uh, what started me on the whole process was this quest for, uh, to know who my father was, you know, and something to do with identity because, you know, I've suffered depression a lot in my life, you know, which I think is a normal thing. You know, I think depression then usually ends up in some breakthrough. I mean, now people get medicated and it's called mental illness, but, you know, growing up in, in, in the aftermath of the war in a very dreary place, you know, with a taboo. Uh, a person in the family who's not there but is like so present because they're taboo, all of that, you know, it does lead to some uh, uh, some emotional complexities, I'll call it, instead of calling it depression. But, um, you know, a lot of it was a desperate, became a desperate desire to know who my father was, you know, and the truth of him. Um, rather than all these different family stories like which one to believe i didn't want to just take one and believe it i wanted to know for myself because i you know i'm a stickler for the truth and justice and you know that kind of a sensibility um so um the novel was a quest for me to to you know get to the truth of who my father was but in fact as that it fails because my father is an enigma I, you know, I, I've always had this sense of him as this shadowy person, and I will, a lot of facts about him, a lot of scenes I've written for him, but still, I don't know who he, he was. Um, so it failed in that way, but it, um, I'll tell you what it did was, well, first of all, it became more my mother's novel, because I had to walk in my mother's shoes, and like many mother-daughter relationships, it was a difficult one. She was a difficult woman, um, although we did, Resolve it, but um i I began to truly understand the depth of her suffering um and came to the conclusion, which may be a romantic one, but I don't think so, that she never stopped loving him, you know that she the man who came out of internment was not the man that went in, you know, like men that come back from the war, never will speak about it, you know they they you heard that story so many times, a different person came home. So that she lost him. She lost him when that detective took him uh, to to jail. Um, and uh, but what it's done for me is not just the writing of the book, but the publishing of it, because that's a big step. You know, you're very vulnerable when you put something out there, and particularly with a book like Mad Hatter, I had no idea how people would receive it, but it's been received with such. Uh, such compassion and understanding, and people just love the book, you know, and have, I've had fabulous reviews across the board. Um, so that, for me, has changed my life, because this was the, you know, the cloud that I, I sort of um, hid under uh, all my life was, you know, this feeling, as a child, we had a feeling about shame and humiliation, uh, but we had no idea what it was. But it gets into you, you know, and it it threads right through you. So, you know, I've had a very sort of under-the-radar life, although I've managed to do a lot of things in spite of it. But this has completely liberated me, the reception by the public of this book. And I think it was the right timing. I could have written it earlier, but I think at this time it's very appropriate politically. And people can receive it because people can write books, you know, and they're not appreciated till 30, 40 years later. So it it all worked out well for me, but I have to say, you know, it was a, it was a very emotional process too. You know, there was a, a lot of tears shed at the computer during the process um, along with, you know, all the nitty gritty, rational details. So I'm grateful. I'm very grateful to people for, you know, like people like yourself, you just contact me out of the blue because yeah. you found my webpage and were interested to read the book. That's, just magic for me.
0: Absolutely, I can can imagine, I can imagine and and I just have to say that reading this book I thoroughly enjoyed it but it also became really valuable in my own academic research as well because you you probably understand this as well but as you're doing academic research there's only so far that that can take you. There does come a point where you need some sort of uh, personal engagement with the people that you're studying or the people that you're writing about. And your book actually became a really valuable tool to understand what these people were like, uh, their personalities and their characters, mm-hmm. and kind of understand them to a greater level by engaging with them in a way that wasn't just purely academic anymore. You know, they, they kind of came alive. So the, the whole experience of researching them because of, of reading your book it kind of became more than just an academic experience as well.
1: Thank you, Zach. That's wonderful to hear. I'm very glad that it's been helpful to you. Mm.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So as a kind of final question, a bit more of a lighthearted one, depending on how you choose to interpret it, um, what's one thing that you would tell your younger self or you at the beginning of this writing process for this book What's one thing that you would tell yourself back then uh, that you've now learned having written the book?
1: Oh, you mean when I just started out writing the book? Yeah. Um, That's difficult for me to answer. What would I have told myself? Um, I guess I just would have told myself, you know, what I did really was to take my time, not be in a hurry, um, Let it, you know, let it unfold in its olden time and to keep a very open mind, um, especially about people offering um, words of encouragement, um, help, you know, oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you try that? I I have to say that, you know, because usually I'm very much like this is my agenda and this is what I'm going to do. But yeah, being remaining very open to every suggestion, you know, and anything, even if it sounds crazy. Because you know you can go down some interesting rabbit holes. Um, yeah, I I, I think it, it. I think the process of it went quite well, and I I have tended. I'm now I've reached an age where I can be more patient, but I used to be very impatient and always in a hurry when I was younger. Right. And um, I think that probably that was a part of it. I probably really wanted to get the book out and uh, and get it done, but it did take a long time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think that that's valuable advice for anyone that wants to write about their own family or wants to write a book in general, really, that not to be afraid of the process, because sometimes the process will take longer than expected or shorter than expected, but not to be afraid of that process and to, to let it unfold as it will.
1: Yes, Indeed. And so many people, people, I think are, you know, people are not writers. They're fascinated by, oh, you're a writer. You know, everybody wants to help. I found that that people are very generous with their help or offering any kind of expertise that Mm. they have or knowledge. So, um, you know, the the book like sometimes you know with a book i'll be very private about it not to get other people's influences but with mad hatter everybody knew about it everybody knew you know knew somewhat about my story so people were very um free in offering any anything that they could you know about the war or you know about the politics of the day or whatever or recommending books particularly my cousin kenneth he was wonderful he he's the um son of my father's sister,
0: right.
1: and Ken, you know, he 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 put all these books in my path, which were enormously helpful, wow. you know, by these, like Graham Macklin, and, you know, um, um, well, what is it, uh, I can't remember the titles of them all now, but they're all listed at the back of Mad Hatter, and then I encountered Ian Cobain, he he's a marvelous writer. He used to work for the um, the Independent. Um, right. No, the Guardian. The Guardian, right, 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 I think. Right. And then he now he's with the Egyptian the uh, Middle Eastern Eye. He's a fantastic writer, uh, journalist. He wrote "Cruel Britannia: A Secret History of Torture in Britain" by you know by the British. Marvelous book. And he's done another one about. Um, the the official secrets act you know which gives such an insight into the british uh so sort of the core of the british mentality yeah. and all that secrecy and politeness and facade and he's done one about ireland and the troubles and i met with him like he you know i went to england and he met with me you know and we wow. had coffee and talked for a couple of hours people like that just so generous mm. with their time so uh all of that has been enormously helpful. Uh, a book is, you know, it's it's got one person on the title who wrote it, but there's so many people. That's why you get these long lists of acknowledgements, <laughs> generosity of uh, the common
0: people. 100%, 100%. Mm. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure and an honour to have you here. It's been great to chat to you, so thank you very much.
1: And, and many thanks to you, Zach. It's been wonderful. And um, I hope we continue to
0: correspond. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Present History Podcast and episode six of our Hitler's Kingdom Come multimedia project. If you want to find out more about the project and potentially head back through the back catalogue of what we've already spoken about, you can head to our website at presenthistory.co.uk where you can find a web page with all the podcast episodes, all the videos and complete transcripts with all the citations and references so you can know where we got our information from. And if you want to check out Amanda Hale and her work, you can head to her website at amandahale.com and you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram as well. All the links will be in the description and the show notes as well, so never fear. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Present History Podcast and we'll see you in the next one.